are entering the Freedom Hut. Trump's deep state enemies are running for cover as he calls them out over the weekend and says it's time for answers. Why were they spying on the Trump campaign? How were they spying on the Trump campaign? Department of Justice seems to think that it is independent of the rest of government. That is false. We'll discuss what it all means. Plus, Starbucks now has a new bathroom policy that I don't think is going to work out very well for the huge company. And we're going to talk about what is going on with China and trade and a whole bunch of other issues. Much more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Indeed. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Live from the swamp, Washington, D.C., our nation's capital actually starting to get acclimated down here i mean it's still swampy don't get me wrong but at least it's not something of a monsoon which is what it was for for days and days last week i I, i'm reaching a point now where i'm wondering some of the next moves that the the deep state anti-trump left has in store for us i can see them coming a mile away and i've been trying to prepare you for a while with don't think that just because we get to the truth that we will get justice They will completely disregard any sense of fairness, fair play, decency, honor, integrity when they're finally caught. And we're seeing a little bit of, uh, I think, a panic that is setting in among some of the media who have been running with this fairy tale for going on two years now. And a lot of former uh, Obama administration senior government officials who have some explaining to do, at a minimum. Uh, This issue of the possibility of a uh, a spy, I mean, it's been reported all over the place. People are naming the informant. We'll just refer to him as the informant. Guy who was meeting with Page and Papadopoulos, that, that he was trying to ingratiate himself with some of these Trump campaign officials, that he was pushing some of these issues. This is entrapment. This is... An intelligence operation. That's what was being run here against people tied to a presidential campaign. There's no way around this anymore. And that's why you've seen a remarkable shift. Unbelievable, really. From, if you think, I mean, this was a year ago when people like you and me were saying that it looked like somebody was spying on Trump. And there's, oh, no, that's crazy. It was a crazy thing to say. It was an irresponsible thing to say a year ago. Now here we are. And all of a sudden, the anti-Trump left is like, yeah, sure, they were spying. Of course they were spying. No big deal. Are we supposed to pretend that we don't know that a year ago we were crazy to think that was happening? And now we're told we'd be crazy not to think that was happening. You see what they're doing here? You see how the propagandists just constantly evade responsibility for their delusions, their myth-making, their dishonesty. 
Because that's what's happening right now. They just keep changing the story as it, as it moves along, as it fits their political needs, not as it pertains to the reality of what has come before it. Uh, what do they have to say today? That's what they'll say. Whatever works. Whatever gets them through another 24-hour news cycle. But uh, this is very serious stuff. Also note that the leaks that came out about this uh, informant reported in a whole bunch of different places, uh, New York Times, Daily Caller actually been doing, and and hat tip to them, fantastic work on this one. Uh, They're just down the street here for me in D.C. Daily Caller's been doing some great stuff on this getting answers. But we know that this has been going on now for a few days. We know that this information gets out there. And now you have the sanctimonious anti-Trump left after using these police state tactics, which is what this is. I mean, this is there, there's a reason, folks. And, and I, I try to remind all of us of this from time to time. I try to bring it into our conversation. There's a reason that a lot of countries... The most feared apparatus in the country is not, in fact, the military, although that's the single greatest concentration of force, but the most feared apparatus is the intelligence agencies or agencies. Uh, And sometimes, in fact, the country ends up being run by the person who had previously occupied the job of top, top spy. Vladimir Putin's one example, but Saddam Hussein, you go through history, plenty of cases of either the person running the country was formerly running the intelligence agencies or really the most powerful person in reality in the country was, in fact, the one running the intelligence agency, not the president or the prime minister or whomever. Because the ability to spy, to gather information, especially when you're talking about by extra legal Nice way of saying illegal means gives tremendous power, and as we know, power corrupts. And that's what you see happening here. They are now acting like this was all fine, this was necessary. There were plenty of reasons to do this spying on the Trump administration. After telling us we were crazy before, now there's plenty of reasons to have this spying on the Trump administration. And oh, by the way, they also think that they, that they can play this game of leak information about the informant to get ahead of the story and then act like, how dare anyone talk about this informant? I mean, I'm seeing people with a straight face who are prominent government officials. Here, here's, here's Senator Mark Warner. Here's a perfect example. Play clip seven. When individuals want to try to reveal classified information about the identity of an FBI or CIA source that is against the law. And I find it outrageous that the president's allies are in effect playing uh, fast and loose with confidential information. And, and don't take my word, take the president's own FBI director, Mr. Ray, who said, if you go out and start exposing classified information about informants, that you will make America less safe. I, I, am, I find this totally outrageous on some of the actions of these allies. Who do we think exposed this reported source? Uh, we know who did. New York Times, anti-Trump newspapers, relying on government, as they say, believe them, take it or leave it, government officials. So I-, I need someone to explain to me 
Who's the one who's then endangering the source? By the way, based on who we think the source is, not in danger at all. It's a complete and utter lie. This is so flimsy. But you'll notice there's a lot of hiding behind. There's 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 a lot of um, uh, hiding behind the the bureaucracy going on here. A lot of oh, the sources and methods, sources and methods. Oh, n- now we're going to play that game. Now we're going to play the all classified information is sacrosanct, can never can, can never be justified to be released, even when it's a question about. Should the president even be under investigation right now? Don't we think that these are competing competing goods, right? Uh, should we know the truth about this one source so that we know if this whole investigation of Trump is a sham put on by senior Obama administration officials? That's what this is, folks. Obama's guys and a few gals that I can think of may have been the ones, It almost, it seems... Certain they were the ones that created this whole collusion Russia narrative out of out of almost nothing. I mean, they were stretching this, stretching credulity to its limits in order to get this thing going. But now it's oh gosh, the, the source, the source, please. Okay, a lot, there are a lot of sources in a lot of places that are in no danger whatsoever, and this. And I mean, especially now that where we're finding out who this guy is based on media reports. Are we all, so am I not allowed to talk about who the sources? This is, this, I, I, I want to know, Senator Mark Warner, I want to ask him. So are people like me not allowed to say, it's been published everywhere. So is that a threat? You know, there, there's a real underhanded litigiousness, you know, a, a desire to try to ensnare people in the law. It's kind of like Mueller trying to get people lying on, about non-crimes officiousness is at the heart of this mentality, right? Oh, no, you can't. Sources and methods, sources and methods. The source has been blown. All of the media. You all know who the source is. The source is being written about in newspapers all over the country. You do a Google search. You see his photo you, I and mean, everything. So we're just going to sit around and be like, oh, nope, can't talk, about, can't talk about the source. Why do you think they really care about this? Oh, that's right. Because of how terrible it looks that... From what we know, this was an individual who was run at the Trump campaign. This would be like, think about how easy this is. I'm somebody who uh, wants to get at Hillary Clinton, let's just say, politically. I want to I I mess up her campaign. So what do I do? I, I hire some people to go and try and talk to some of Hillary's campaign aides about, uh, you know, hey, guys, you know, do you know, like, do you, do you have any friends, you know, where I, and this is not a perfect example, but I'm just trying to put this in some kind of context. You know, anybody who might be able to, you know, help me get some weed, you know, think about that, right? Think about how easy that would be. And, and by the way, the, the Hillary's campaign aides could well say, well, you know, no, no, I, you know, I don't smoke or I don't do that or, you know, whatever. But then I could turn around and I could say, hey, guys, um, you know, I, I could talk to the DEA and say, you know, there's some senior Hillary people who are talking about about doing about some drug deal stuff going on. I think you guys should really look into this. All of a sudden, there's a drug investigation of Hillary Clinton's campaign aides, right? That's basically what we're talking about here against the Trump campaign. You get some guy to be like, hey, do you know anything about Russia and emails? And you want to talk to me about that a little bit? And these guys were like, yeah, I don't really, you know, nah. Papadopoulos and, and Page, not exactly 
not to be mean, but not the sharpest tools in the shed. And they're like, nah, I got nothing. Oh, 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 there's somebody here talking about Hillary Clinton emails, guys. We need to, we need to investigate this. You see? They really fabricated this narrative. That's what we're, we're, not, we're not just finding out that they exceeded, that, that the deep state anti-Trump left exceeded their authority, that they abused their power. All of that is all, we know that's true. Now what we're facing is the possibility, the likelihood, I would say, that they basically fabricated this. That they did, they did the equivalent of running a confidential informant up to somebody to start a conversation and then use that conversation as the basis for an investigation. Well, I can tell you because I've been involved in counterterrorism cases, you can do this with anyone. It's not hard. Trust me. You know, you, you run somebody, a radical of, let's just say, any ideology, to not make this too political right now, but you run somebody up to somebody that you know has pretty unorthodox views on certain things. You say, hey, you get them engaged in a conversation. You can get them to say things, if you're trained, you know what you're doing, that would at least create a pretext for further investigation if you really, really want to. But isn't this what they, and I'm, I'm not trying to exaggerate, isn't this what they did with the Stasi? I mean, isn't that what you would expect in, in an actual police state? Running informants into people's homes or running, you know, person to person human intelligence operations, also something I'm very familiar with, and then use that interaction as the basis for, remember, not a criminal investigation, a counterintelligence investigation, which needs an even looser pretext. It's all coming together now, isn't it? And this is why, by the way, there, there's, there's a desperation on the left to make this go away, to hide the information. But when I come back, I want to talk to you about my other... So the, the whole informant thing, people like Mark Warner, oh, this guy's in jeopardy. They're liars. It's a joke. It's preposterous. The name's already out there. We all know the guy's name, and they need, they need to stop playing these games, right? The left, the Democrats need to stop, but they won't. But even in addition to that, you have the notion of the independent DOJ. I've, the constitutional illiteracy on display from senior Democrats and major media figures right now is a, a, a complete and utter debacle. I will give you details in just a moment. This long-term Republican, Comey was a long-term Republican. They're all long-term Republicans who hated Trump. So that do doesn't you, help again, at you, you all. You know that Mueller hated Trump? You won't have any doubt about that at the end of this. Oh, thing. you mean because and maybe he'll find evidence. No, but right? maybe, I mean, maybe he and Comey are so close, their history is so close together that when you read Comey's book and you see what he has said, you really wonder about the objectivity of the investigation. Look, there was never a need for a special counsel. Special counsel have targets. They're looking to try to find crimes against people. That doesn't serve the interests of America. Get in there, Dersh. Love it. Dersh is getting frisky in there. It was him versus uh, Dan Abrams. I think he's like an NBC News analyst. But, yeah, I hate that talking point, by the way. Oh, and these are, Mueller's a lifelong Republican, and Comey was a, well, actually, Comey is not a lifelong Republican, or is, is at least not a Republican anymore. He changed his party affiliation to independent years ago. Uh, but it, it's as though they, the people who say that expect us not to ever think about, oh, 
there are Republicans who hate Trump more than any Democrats that I know. There are Republicans who are people whose names you would all know, folks, who I know for a fact are angrier at Trump than a lot of the Democrats I know because they feel like Trump has stolen their party, stolen their prerogative, stolen their power, and they take it very personally. The whole There, there are people in Never Trump who are crazier than almost, not all, but almost any Democrats I know in terms of their Trump derangement syndrome. So how does this talking point persist? I, I just want to know, how does this continue on? Oh, the Republicans. So? What does that mean? The Republicans who hate Trump more than any Democrat. But on the independence of the DOJ, this is my favorite one. You get all these people saying, oh, Congress can't ask the DOJ for information about the investigation. Wrong. Oh, Trump can't even communicate with the Department of Justice about any investigation. He can't fire anyone either. Wrong. This is just basic constitutional, well, this is illiteracy when it comes to the Constitution. This is a lack, I can't even say of understanding. It's not so much that they misinterpret the Constitution when it comes to the DOJ right now. It seems to be a reminder that there are people who work in media and in the federal government who don't really know or respect much the notion of the Constitution and the whole idea of oversight. Think about what it would mean if the DOJ was beyond, so they can just prosecute anybody for any reason, right? There's What is the check on the Department of Justice if not the Congress? You know what the answer is? There isn't one. Oh, I'm a buck. And we're talking about a counterintelligence investigation. They don't even have a criminal predicate for this stuff. They're just saying, oh, you know, we think. National security, yada, yada. Let's do whatever we want. We'll keep it secret. This is not okay. This is police state stuff. Folks, I mean, I'm familiar with the tools and techniques and how these things can go. You do not want federal prosecutors operating at the highest levels of government who don't have to answer to anybody. But, but, but that's what Democrats are saying they want right now. Oh, no, no. An independent DOJ. You mean like how the president can fire all the U.S. attorneys at the start of his administration, independent like that? He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. If they ran a spy ring or an informant ring and they were paying people uh, within the Trump campaign, if any of that is true, that is an absolute red line. There is not an honest person in this country who can believe that taxpayer dollars going to, to fund this ring and, and operate like this, like what's said in the, in the New York Times, if any of that is true, this is a red line in this country. You can't do this to political campaigns. This was done in, in the spring. The, I mean, the- before the counterintelligence investigation was even open. If that's true, we need to know about it. If they paid someone, it's an absolute red line, and this is over with. This is over with, he says. Um, we'll have to see if Devin Nunes is right on this one. And uh, to give his perspective on this and a lot of other stuff going on right now with Russia collusion and the Mueller probe and all the rest of it, Andy McCarthy is with us now. He's a National Review columnist, also served as, a, as an assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of New York. 
Uh, check out his latest column on nationalview.com. In politicized justice, desperate times call for disparate measures. Andy, great to have you back. Buck, great to be with you. Um, let's start. I mean, I, I really enjoyed your column. I read it over the weekend where you just lay out the, the enormous differences between how the Hillary email investigation was handled by the same people in, in, in many cases in DOJ versus what's gone on with Trump at each, at every stage of the game. But before we get into that side by side comparison, which I think everybody should be familiar with and they should read your work on it. What do you make of this whole this whole informant situation? And he had, he had Nunes saying, well, if this happened, it's a red line. I'm looking around. I'm seeing a lot of Democrats that are saying, well, you know, we maybe kind of needed an informant because Trump is so dirty or something. Yeah, well, that's the problem, Buck. It's the uh, or something, you know, um, I'm not in the same place as Chairman Nunez of the Intelligence Committee, although I'm, I, I think he's uh, a good 90 percent right, because I can imagine certain scenarios as i'm sure you can where if we had really strong evidence to believe that a political campaign was in cahoots with a adversarial foreign power that that would cry out to be investigated and i would be you know it would be something that you would hope uh responsible people would would think long and hard and be sure about it before they took the what would be a, a, a grievous step of of uh, using our counterintelligence powers, which are meant not to spy on Americans, but to protect the country from hostile foreign powers. You know, before you would take the step and use those powers in this kind of a situation, one would hope that, you know, people would think long and hard about it. But I could imagine if there was such evidence uh, doing that, I just don't see that kind of evidence here. Right, and and so what, when we look at this, though, Andy, I have to I have to know that there are some people. I think I saw an analysis in the Washington Post actually saying that if there was, and, and there's also a lot of games being played here with, well, was there an informant or wasn't there? Right, you've got major newspapers that are running with what they say are U.S. officials, DOJ leaks about this this individual that allegedly was reporting on Trump, and there's a lot of specific details about his name that's already out there all over the place. Also. Right. With the, the specific people about whom he met with, you know, Carter Page and Papadopoulos and uh, with all that. Now I'm seeing people say, well, it was for, it was to protect Trump. I mean, I'm seeing some desperate lines out there from the media on this, which which to me raises even more suspicion because there's just no way this yeah. was to protect Trump. Yeah. Plus, but, you know, when when you're going to do things like we've seen done in this case. And we know that there were, for example, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act wiretaps that were done. Uh, it's a part of federal law, whether you do this on the intelligence side or the, or the criminal side, that before you take a step like that, you have to consider, and in the case of wiretaps, show to a court that, you've, that there are alternative investigative techniques that you've thought about using or tried to use and they won't work or don't work. And that's why you need to do something, you know, this intrusive. And that should back everybody up because there's usually always a way to, to use a uh, more benign procedure, particularly if you're trying to protect the person, not investigate them. I mean, and I'm familiar with mafia cases where the FBI has approached people whose names came up on wiretaps to say, uh, you know, we don't want to blow our investigation here, but you better be careful. 
um, because you know you're you're uh, in cahoots with not nice people, and they're yeah, they're talking about, about they're nice talking about your name and sleeping with the fishes. I get it. Yeah, right. So I don't know why you rate that kind of a kind of behavior or that kind of treatment if you're uh, mixed up with wise guys, but you don't rate that kind of treatment, you know, if you're running for president in the United States. I mean, why couldn't they have gone to the Trump campaign and said, you know, we're a little concerned here that the Russians are making efforts to infiltrate your campaign, and we, we're going to speak to a couple of people, but we want to alert you that, that there's a problem. Or, you know, you've got a guy like Carter Page, who's one of the guys that this informant evidently spied on, Page had a prior history of cooperating with the FBI and the Justice Department in connection with a Russian investigation where they were trying to uh, evidently recruit him to be an informant. So they had they had standing ties with this guy to the point where they had used his information in a criminal complaint against a Russian spy. So why don't you bring Page in and sit him down at a table and say, Carter, what's going on here? Um, instead, it looks to me like they jumped to the, you know, to the sort of, uh, you know, DEFCON 1, where they say, uh, we need to infiltrate this campaign with spies and we need to do national security wiretaps. And I've been resisting leaping to that conclusion, Buck, because I don't want to believe that that's what they did. I believe I want to believe that if they did those kinds of tactics, that there must have been, you know, really strong evidence that Trump or people in Trump's campaign were in some kind of a nefarious conspiracy with the Kremlin, but I ain't seeing it. We're speaking to Andy McCarthy. He's at uh, National Review. You should read his his latest work on this issue, especially where he lines up. The pieces in Politicized Justice, Desperate Times, Call for Disparate Measures. Read it. I read it more than once. Really, do please check it out. But Andy, I want to ask also about, I mean, I got a lot of questions I want to ask you, and I know we, we can't trespass too much on your time, but oversight i'm also seeing a lot of trump is not trump is not allowed to say anything to the doj trump is not allowed to fire anyone in the doj congress is not allowed to get information from within the doj who who do some of these people run around and you know i'm talking you got feinstein senator feinstein you got others out there who do they think has oversight over the department of justice i mean correct me if i'm wrong the department of justice was created by an act of congress and it's an executive, executive branch agency. That's exactly right. And it, it answers to the politically accountable political representative in the executive branch. It's the president, of course. And in, in Congress, it's the representatives elected by the American people. So, of course, they're supposed to have oversight. And, Buck, I want to make one other point, which is kind of up the alley um, of, of your experience in intelligence, um, but is, is getting lost, I think, in all of this talk about how we need the independence of law enforcement, uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, intelligence, especially counterintelligence, the FBI's um, mission to protect the country against foreign threats, that's not law enforcement activity. That is a mission that the Justice Department and the FBI have which is completely to support the president's most important duty to protect the United States against and and enemies. screams for oversight, Andy, because it's so such a potent weapon in the wrong hands. Yes. So, you know, when the president wants to wants to decide 
you know, should we take this or that measure against some foreign country that might uh, be a threat to the United States or one of our interests? It's a commonplace for the president to say, I want an investigation of this or I want information about that. This is not law enforcement. You know, it's, it's perfectly well and good to say in the four corners of a, of a criminal prosecution, we don't want politics intruding because we want the public to understand that the rule of law is what governs us in that realm, and it's not the whims of politics. But when you're talking about the counterintelligence mission of the United States, that's wholly in service to the president. So the thought that he can't interfere with it is like, well, why do we have it then? <laughs> I mean, Andy, you spent decades at the Southern District of New York as an assistant U.S. attorney. It, it, was, is there any way where if you were working on a case that was really politically sensitive and Congress was like, well, we, we want we want to have Andy come down and talk to us about this, where you could say, no, nah, no, nah, guys, sorry, the uh, Department of Justice is independent of Congress, uh, Congress. Yeah, I think, Buck, usually the way these things work out, um, Congress is sensitive to the idea that if it asks intrusive questions about an active investigation or an active prosecution, like a case that's on trial, it could screw up the investigation or it can screw up the court proceeding, and it doesn't want to be politically responsible for that. So generally speaking, Congress is responsible about what it asks for. And if there's a problem, the Justice Department comes to them and says, you know, we'd love to be able to help you here, but here's the, you know, here's the three reasons why it would really hurt our case. Right, but, 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 but uh, absolutely, Andy, but, but could they stonewall, I mean, rather, could you have, no. you know, in this theoretical right. example, the answer is no, right? You've got to give Congress the information no. they want. That's exactly right. The Justice Department has a, an entity within the Justice Department that if you get, if you're a line prosecutor in New York and you get a question from a congressman, you're supposed to get in touch with Maine Justice and they get in touch with Congress so that, you know, Congress isn't being ignored, but those things are getting worked out. What about on the presidential, and then, we, then we'll let you go, Andy, but on, on the president's side of things, he put out this tweet, he said he wants, he wants the DOJ to look into interference, and people are saying he can't do that. The Department of Justice, once again, is independent. Well, it is part of the executive branch, so how does that work out? When, when push comes to shove, I don't mean when everyone's playing nice with each other. Well, there is no independent, you know, the, the Justice Department and the FBI are not a fourth branch of the government. They're right. politically accountable. They're, they're, they answer to the president. He's the politically accountable person. And if they commit misconduct, it's the president who's accountable for it. So, of course, they answer to the president. And those who say that, you know, they have to be totally independent, there's a, you know, there's a dark history of law enforcement, awesome enforcement power, being completely divorced from political accountability, and it usually is the history of tyranny. It's a pretty dark place. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I understand the good faith of people who say we have to resist political interference with law enforcement. And again, I think what that means is that if there's a prosecution, we don't want, you know, politics deciding who gets prosecuted, and we don't want it intruding into a trial or an investigation. But the thought that these people don't answer to the political leadership of the executive branch in our system is just wrong. Yeah, well, I'm seeing a lot of that wrongness, though, right now. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people, it, sure it seems. 
Yeah. I, I think almost you'd, you'd think that they're committing politics here. Yeah, you, you get a sense that it has nothing to do with what the law is. Everybody, Andy McCarthy on this stuff has been doing a fantastic job. In fact, the president himself has mentioned Andy, uh, and, Andy's writing on this in recent weeks. So check it out at nashreview.com. Andy, thank you so much for making the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Buck. All right, team, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We have much, much more show coming for you, uh, including perhaps discussion of some foreign policy in the next hour, what the latest is there. I was right on China. We'll get to that. Stay with me. Politicizing uh, what is a legitimate activity on the part, and an important one on the part of the FBI. They, they use foreman, informants and have strict rules and protocols under this. And, but the big, the big thing here is this is not about spying on, on his campaign. It's about what the Russians are doing. Were they attempting to infiltrate the campaign? And that was the concern. I mean, that's the former director of national intelligence. Is he serious? They're not spying on the campaign. They're spying on the Russians who are trying to infiltrate and therefore ally with the campaign. But that means you're spying on the campaign, right? I'm not uh, I- I'm not just, you know, watching the back alley. I'm watching the back alley to see if the, you know, Ill- illegal drug deal goes on. It's like, yeah, of course. It, it, oh, my gosh. This doesn't even make sense anymore. I also, I, I, I know I asked Andy about it. I'm, I got to try to find it. I think it was one of CNN's analysts, and whatever they're paying her, it's not enough, who wrote in the Washington Post, I think, that if they were spying on Trump, it was for his own good. That's the new, that's the new hotness. The, the old and busted, like no longer cool to say, if you're an anti-Trump leftist, is there was no spying. Now the new hotness is there was spying but it was actually pro-Trump spying. Kind of like they'll say, oh, the FBI investigation shows how favorable they were toward Trump because there weren't more leaks about the investigation. Meanwhile, that's because they didn't find anything. If they had found stuff, they would have ended Trump's campaign. We all get that. But there's just this desperation of storylines, narratives, talking points out there that, never mind, aren't true, don't make sense. And the former director of national intelligence, who is a a clear anti-Trump partisan, there's no question about it. Same thing with Brennan. By the way, these are people, you know, you say, oh, their career, Buck, their career. Yeah, just like Comey's a career prosecutor. Patrick Fitzgerald's a career prosecutor. Just because you worked in the government forever doesn't mean you're impartial. You know, maybe that's one of the myths that we have to just completely tear apart here. Oh, well, so-and-so, we you know, worked for, you know, Clapper is a career, a career, whatever, career military, career, you name it. Doesn't mean you're impartial. Doesn't mean you don't have, you can't be partisan, have political biases that affect the way you do your job. But I just have to love that. Yeah, they weren't spying on Trump. They were spying on the Russians allying with Trump. Oh, well, well, in that case, you know, I mean, you know, we, we, we didn't set up a video camera in your bedroom to watch you. It was to watch you and your spouse. Oh, well, I guess then it's like no problem. No big deal. 
do they do they hear themselves when they say these things? I guess at this point, the, the storylines are collapsing more and more. And now the president's saying he's going to get some answers, get the truth. He met with Director Ray today of the FBI, so maybe we'll finally get those answers. Are you an employer, property manager, or financial company that needs somebody who you can absolutely trust to do background checks, tenant screening, or vetting and investigative services? Then you need Global Verification Network. Global Verification is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They are headquartered here in Chicago. A lot of the companies in this space They send stuff overseas, not just your data, which, by the way, means it's easier for it to get hacked and get all out there, but also a lot of the work will be offshore. You want veterans, you want people in this country working on your case. Global Verification Network is the best in the business. Go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com or call 877-695-695. 1179, that's 877 695 1179. Leave no stone unturned. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Let's call it like it is the horrifying inaction of Congress. Slaughter after slaughter has become a green light to would-be shooters who pervert silence into endorsement. Guns are probably not that hard to get despite the laws in place. Oliver North is head of the NRA. They're not a constructive group here. They're just trying to protect the Second Amendment and use the gun issue as a proxy for government encroaching on individual rights. The only difference between us uh, and everybody else is our gun culture. Well, this is just straight out of the traditional NRA playbook. And they want to talk about Ritalin. They want to talk about video games. They want to talk about culture. They want to talk about anything except easy access to guns. Until the political leadership, you know, is not a wholly owned subsidiary of the gun lobby. Mm -hmm. When kids are telling us they know they're next, we're doing something wrong. This is the bottom line. Have you guys done enough? Have you guys done enough in the Senate? Of course not. Of course not. But it's like every other issue. The American people are united. Overwhelmingly, gun owners, non-gun owners, on common sense gun safety legislation, expand background checks, do away with the gun show. Then why have, uh, if Rupo, they are, do away how come with this the stuff doesn't ever pass? It's a three-letter word. It's the NRA, and it's Trump and the Republicans who don't have the guts to stand up to these people, and that's pretty pathetic. The NRA as a boogeyman in the whole gun debate is, is really now just a talking point for stupid people. What, what is, well, how is the NRA to blame for some evil little malcontent stealing his father's guns illegally? Right? He, a, a minor in possession of firearms, illegal. Bringing them onto school property, illegal. Killing a bunch of innocent people, shooting a bunch of other people, all very, very illegal. Why is this the NRA's fault? This is why I always come back to the only policy that could be advocated that is intellectually consistent, put aside for a moment that it's not feasible, that it's unconstitutional, that I think it's a bad idea in a hundred different ways, but the only one that at least 
is worth discussing at this point, considering all the gun laws that are already in place, would be an all-out ban on private firearms ownership. Really. I mean, that's it. Because short of that, how do you stop... The guy owns a, a handgun and a shotgun. His kid stole them. I think he also might have... Uh, don't quote me on this one. Producer Mike, fact-check me on this. I think he also sawed down the barrel, which, again, illegal. Uh, so everything else they're talking about is just virtue signaling. It's just emotion masquerading as policy discussion. Bernie Sanders, by the way, senator from Vermont. I think they've recently got a little stricter, but Vermont has some of the loosest gun laws in the country. And some of the lowest, I believe it actually might be the lowest per capita violent crime in the country as well. So it's really easy to buy a gun in Vermont. And there's almost no crime that is, uh, you know, violent gun crime in Vermont. So I don't understand what's, I thought it was about the laws, right? Oh, maybe it's not about the laws. Maybe there's something else going on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Mike, check me. Saw it off. So add that to the list of illegal things that this little mass murderer did. So what are we going to do? Work on parents better securing their farms? Sure. You can pass a law that says got to secure your farms. In, in New York, you got to have your gun in a lockbox with a trigger guard on it in the lockbox and separate lockbox for ammunition, which is going to be great when the burglar comes, uh, burglar comes through the door and you can throw not one but two lockboxes at him because you're not going to have time to actually get your weapon. But... You can pass a law like that. So much dishonesty on this issue. I, I'm I'm seeing that this one's not going to last quite as long, though. I think they've got other problems trying to prop up the whole Russia collusion fantasy narrative, right? There, there are other things that the media's got to exert its energy on right now than just bashing the NRA. It is not an overstatement to say that the that our Mainstream media in this country is more comfortable using really harsh language, defamatory language about the National Rifle Association than they are about Hamas or members of MS-13. That's just a fact at this point. You know, you never see someone in the media challenge somebody from their side, right, the Democrat left side, on being too mean about the NRA. On maybe don't call them terrorists. You will see people say, oh, hold on, MS-13, they're God's children too. Or, you know, Gaia's children don't want to exclude people who are pantheists or whatever. So, yeah, there's that. There's that. Uh, CNN and, and, and others, by the way, have been running around their whole thing is that they're objective, they're honest, they're journalists. And look, there are some good journalists at all these places because it's tough to get a job in journalism and you got to go where the money is if you want to actually support yourself and make a living. I get that. Uh, you know, people are like, fuck, why do you go work at CNN for a couple of years? Because they were going to pay me and I wanted to go in there and fight in the lion's den. I didn't realize that every time I went in the lion's den, I was going to have about 30 seconds and my arms and my legs were going to be shackled and, you know, it was n never actually a fight. A fair fight. Uh, so I left. But you, know, you take the opportunities where you can to express your opinions and try to convince and try to engage in polemical combat where you can. But CNN and these other places, they've they got a lot of problems with the truth. 
as you know, fake news. There's a reason why they get so upset about fake news. There's a reason why they will now actually cancel guests who have ever publicly referred to CNN as fake news. Think about that. Wow, really, really sensitive, you know. Really sensitive indeed. Um, but on this issue of guns specifically, they just repeat a lie now that is so blatant and so obviously false that it can't be a mistake. It has to be intentional. And it has to do with the, 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 the idea that there have been 22, and this was from CNN's official account, 22 school shootings uh, this year. 22 school shootings. You might say, Buck, that's, that's a lot of school shootings. And, and you'd be right. That, that is a lot of school shootings. And then you also may see this statistic where they'll say school shootings since 2009, and it's like Mexico, 8, South Africa, 6, Russia, 1. By the way, you, you believe that Russian number? I don't think so. Russia, 1. Germany, 1. Japan, Switzerland, Netherlands, etc., etc., 0. The United States, 288. Oh, my gosh. 288 more than a bunch of other countries like Japan they want to show us. Okay, what's the truth of this number they keep putting out there? Let's just focus on this year before I get into this since 2009. They refer to these incidents as school shootings. But what they mean by a school shooting is someone is shot by any kind of firearm, I believe including a BB gun in one incident, I I kid you not, uh, anywhere on a campus of any kind in the United States. You might say, well, Buck, that sounds like a you know school shooting. I say, okay, just understand that they, they use the number of 22 to make it seem like there have been 22 cases like Parkland, like what just happened in Texas, right? Where you had a mass casualty event, many students killed and wounded. Uh, and, and yes, one of these incidents is too many. But that being the case, why do they have to lie about how many incidents there are? And what does that do to their credibility as news networks? Because what they are saying, you know, count as 22 shootings include things like a gang fight on a university campus where someone pulls out a gun and shoots at somebody else. Okay, it's a school shooting, but not not really. It occurred on school grounds somewhere. They include, and this is what really, they include completely legally owned guns, but obviously you can't bring them on school property in most cases, but accidental discharge, including one incident this year of an accidental discharge in a classroom by somebody giving a gun safety instruction. There's a very famous video, I'm sure many of you, I've seen it in my gun safety classes. I've taken many of them over the years. Uh, very famous video of a guy, I think he's in Florida, who pulls out a Glock. I think he was DEA, but I, you know, I can't remember what the, what the letters were on his chest. I think he was a DEA agent. And he's giving a, a lecture in front of a class. And you know, with, with a Glock, many of you know where this is going, you can remove the magazine. You still have one in the chamber. right? So he, uh, if, if memories, I think he cleared his weapon. But then racked the slide and then pulled out the magazine and there was one in the chamber. Or he might have actually just pulled the magazine out and left one in the chamber and forgot. But anyway, and then he goes to uh, holster his weapon and finger on the trigger and blows off his kneecap, 
basically, or part, you know, shoots himself in the knee. They include that kind of incident here as a school shooting. Okay, so now if you have a professional law enforcement person who shows up at a school and happens to have an AD, which, by the way, is pretty terrible. I mean, in terms of safety issues, I mean, you really, an AD at a school, you're there to teach safety. Anyway, yeah, was it Mike says it was a DEA guy? Yeah, that's what I thought. I remember that video very well. I think that guy tried to sue, by the way. I forget who he, I think he tried to sue the school or something. Didn't work. But they're including accidental discharges. They're including people getting hit with BB guns. They're including gang fights on some universities are sprawling huge campuses. So if anyone at a, at a you know, the university of huge, huge state school somewhere pulls out a gun and shoots at somebody, even if it's like a robbery in the middle of the night, they call that a school shooting. And that's how you get to 22. If you want to know how many shootings there are that you would think of as school shootings this year, where somebody has gone into a school to kill students, I think the number is either three or four. I think it's four. For the year. Four too many. I get it. But four is not 22. So why lie? Oh, that's right. Because they're not really journalists on this issue. They are activists. They're openly pushing an agenda. And for a place like CNN, as I said, they put this out from their official Twitter account. This lie number or this very misleading, maybe we'll put it that way, number of 22. Just goes to show you that they're not willing to just deal with the facts as they are. They, ha- they feel the need who stack the deck on this one for policy change purposes, or they just want, pardon the expression, additional ammunition to go after the NRA. We want to make the number 22 so we can really hammer the NRA. I would also note that they have to be aware of the fact that the NRA's donations from its membership go up when the media completely trashes the NRA, right? That it's a fundraising bonanza for the NRA when Democrat politicians like Pelosi and others are out there talking about how the problem here is the NRA. They have to know that, too, right? But you know, I'd be okay with CNN saying we are, a, we are a DNC media operation, basically. I'd be okay with that in terms of at least there's honesty. I mean, I, I think it's bad and pushing bad ideas, but at least there's honesty. No, they act like we're, we're big J journalists. But they'll then run the 22 number. It's a lie. We've already been here, by the way. After Parkland, they were lying about the number again. They just keep doing it. And it can't be an accident. But they do the whole apple banana thing when they want to tell us about how they're objective and just the facts, right? It's preposterous. Uh, There's not going to be any gun control legislation that comes out of this because no one can think of any gun control legislation that would have stopped what happened in Texas. That's a pretty straightforward discussion. And there already is a lot of gun legislation on the books and this kid this little murderer violated many many laws gonna add another law not gonna do anything this is actually not that hard when you break it down to the reality of what's going on all right i've got a lot more on this i know i got deeper in this than i thought uh we'll be right back team stay with me if you're hiring i know what you're going through right now because i've been going through it in the last few weeks And I know there's a lot of different ways you can go about this. You can hope to go word of mouth. You can post something in your local grocery store, bulletin board, or you could get the best candidates the fastest way. That's what I did. I've hired now multiple candidates specifically from ZipRecruiter.com. And that's after going through dozens and dozens of 
excellent resumes. I now have colleagues that I'll be working with from the ZipRecruiter pool. ZipRecruiter.com knows what you're looking for. It knew what I was looking for, and it brought me the right people. Check it out for yourself. I can tell you from personal experience, it works incredibly well. It is a success. Try it out. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. You're going to find great candidates for those jobs just like I did. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. This is not an appropriate call for an investigation by this president. This is a very autocratic, dictator-style move on behalf of this president who believes that any government agency within his purview can be used against political opponents. He should go live in a dictatorship, which it clearly is something that I believe that he really wants. The way that he is conducting himself in public uh, underscores just how inept clueless, out of the loop, and uninformed he is about how the FBI <laughs> functions. Oh, man, that's a CNN analyst, Marie Cardona. Oh, my God. You want to talk about uninformed? Has just no, I mean, they put her on TV all the time. Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper, very respectful of her. Doesn't know anything. I mean, just, just a... Uh, could be a very nice lady. I'm sure she, you know, sure has her lovely qualities. A complete and utter ignoramus. But kind of sort of sounds sometimes like maybe she knows something because of all the words strung together. Like, you know, go live in a dictatorship. What? How? Who? They're putting her on TV with this stuff. It, it's amazing. You know, I always tell you that uh, that the big problem over at CNN is that they refuse to accept the very obvious reality that they're every bit as left wing as MSNBC. Kellyanne Conway took him a task on this one. Oh, Kellyanne, well done. Play clip eight. All of that. We've litigated this. Brian, you're trying to break news here and it's not working. I'm sorry. Did you just say something that a lot of people on your side of the aisle are not willing to say? I'm not on the side of an aisle. That's an well, tell America, remark. did you vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? That's an How did your I did wife not vote, vote for America. president. I left that spot blank on the ballot that day. Blank but it's not appropriate for you to go you around didn't asking think people who they help. voted for. No, no, it's all appropriate to ask me it, things, but not other people. It's, a, it's inappropriate. It's good. Brian Stelter doesn't vote. Brian Stelter doesn't have political opinions. His objective, down the middle, is a serious journalist. Whoa, 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 that's out of line. <laughs> I mean, is he kidding? Stelter is a Democrat. Tapper is a Democrat. Cooper is a Democrat. Lemon is a Democrat. Burnett is a Democrat. I mean, am I... Prove me wrong. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, is anyone... And forget about even just being Democrats. Do we think that a single one of them, if they were not in their I don't vote mode, would have voted for Trump? I mean... Come on, right? This this is a fiction. This oh, I'm just a journalist. I don't have opinions. I don't think about things. I just present the facts. I love that. Who'd you vote for, Brian? Whoa, 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 lady. That's really personal. It's really personal. Oh, my gosh. That guy. Whew. Good times. Good times. That's the question I always want to ask, though. I, I, I mean, you know, they'll never, they'll never have me on these shows anymore, obviously, because... 
They know what they're in for. Um, Stupid but, question. Yeah, exactly. But I just want to know, do, do they really think? Like, like does, does Anderson Cooper, does anyone ever get a chance to ask him, hey, are, do you realize you're, you're opposed to Trump? Like, you're, you're actively working against the Trump administration, that your editorial line, your story choice, your tone, your all of it is anti-Trump? Or do you really think that people watching you don't know that? I think that, you know, the journalists ask questions all the time. Why don't we get to ask journalists these questions? They can ask me the question. What do you think? Well, Buck, well, what do you think? I, I support Trump. Yeah. Doesn't mean I think everything he does is great. Doesn't mean I support every aspect of his policy or everything that he does. But, yeah, I support Trump. And then I give you my thoughts as somebody who supports Trump. Okay. Well, why can't they do that? Oh, no, we're, we're just journalists. Excuse me, sir. You're way out of line with this. We're not Democrats at CNN. We're just John, just facts, apples and bananas and stuff. And stuff, that's for sure. Uh, wow, we have a lot. I was talking about China. Let's get into some policy for a moment here. I've gotten a little silly. We'll get into that in just a few. Well, the framework went into a number of potential legislative changes it's a very all-encompassing thing, but for the moment, it's kind of at the 40,000-foot level. This is not a definitive agreement. This is a what we hope will be a path forward. If it doesn't work, the tariffs will go into effect. So nothing's been lost at all. Trump and China. I've been telling you guys... Everyone else is uh, running around running around saying, I shouldn't say everyone else, a lot of people running around saying, oh my gosh, the trade war is coming. We're all going to destroy the stock market. Say goodbye to your 401k. Everyone's all upset about it. And what did good old Buck say? What did, what did Buck tell you? Other than it's all in the reflexes. Uh, Buck told you that, sure enough, this would get, worked out or or at least it wouldn't go in the direction of just a senseless trade war without any attempt at negotiation china has been doing bad stuff for a long time when it comes to intellectual property theft when it comes to the tariffs that it puts in place and has managed a fantastic amount of growth in a very short period of time for its people but it has been doing so getting a, not a free ride, but riding a little bit on the coattails of other countries, notably us, right? And we now have an administration that sees this for what it is and is saying, well, hold on a second. You know, maybe maybe we should revisit some of these issues. Maybe we should look at the uh, trade disparity between our two countries. And, you know, Trump has been saying all along since the early days of the campaign, China's killing us on trade. They're They're beating us so badly on trade. Now, I don't think that a trade deficit is as zero sum as Trump makes it sound sometimes. I understand that it's not. But overall, there are certainly ways to get a better trade deal, right? It's it's kind of like the climate change folks. I know this sounds like a digression, but it's not. They act like whatever the temperature is, that's the perfect temperature. Well, maybe the world like, you know, half a half a degree Celsius warmer is a little bit better. <laughs> you know, maybe things actually improve a bit. All the bad things, well, yeah, sure, you might have an increase in uh, microbial growth in some inhabited parts of the world. You may have greater problems with malaria. You also probably have a longer growing season, right? These are not static 
issues. These are these are goalposts that do move, in fact. And with China, what's to say that the trade regime that we've had in place vis-a-vis this country that does engage in uh, a, a bit of predatory state capitalism here and there, we know about it, right? We're all very aware of it. Who's to say that the deal can't be better? In fact, isn't it nonsensical to assume that whatever our relationship with China has been, that that is, in fact, the best way for it to be. No, Trump has come after this and said, hold on a second, let's look at this, let's take a different approach. And people are saying, oh, trade war, trade war. And I said, no, no, you can go back, you listen to the shows. You know, I said, I I think that Trump's onto something here. And a lot, and this is where I break with some of my very, some very smart friends of mine who are conservatives in the media world, who are so, they're saying, no, no, on this one, Trump is just, you know, he's out of his depth. He doesn't understand the trade deals, whatever. Oh, well, as of right now, we're hearing that there could be a very constructive conversation between Trump and China on a whole bunch of things, uh, including uh, agricultural, farm and agricultural products. Trump tweeted out over the weekend that, quote, China has agreed to buy massive amounts of additional Farm and agricultural products would be one of the best things to happen to our farmers in many years. Uh, And also said on China, barriers and tariffs to come down for the first time. So what if he is opening up some of those foreign markets more to our, you know, agricultural output? What are some of the benefits we could see here? It's at least worth the conversation. And more to the point. Just as we see with the way that people criticize him on North Korea, they're not they're not willing. The Trump critics are not willing to see how his approach to China, never mind plays out, how it even begins, really. The moment that he talks about China and trade, you have all these this whole echo chamber effect out there of, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's going to be terrible. He's going to destroy things. Ah, no, he's not. He's just not. And don't you see a recurring theme here? You know, whether you think trade with China is particularly interesting or not, although I would note it, it's it's an important enough relationship that it really does affect our economy. So whatever business you're in or, you know, whatever whatever savings account you have at the bank, I mean, it, what's going on with China is important at a level that we can't really ignore. Economically speaking, we can't totally ignore it. They buy a lot of U.S. treasuries, as we know. And we have a whole relationship with them where they're they're buying up treasuries and buying up treasuries and we're selling them a lot of our debt uh, via that that process. But it's just an, another reminder that you have this conventional wisdom machinery in place on immigration, on North Korea, on Iran, on trade with China. That is not only, I think, going to be proven wrong in the long term, but is is really impatient and immature in the short term right they they act like they go way beyond it's one thing to say i don't like what the end result of what trump's doing in on any of those issues is going to be which i would note also requires some degree of prognostication you have to be able to tell what the future is to know because it's not the future right pretty straightforward but they won't even look at what's happening in the short term and be honest about it, they act like it's already a failure. They speak about these things. They speak about Trump's approach to China on trade as though it's already a disaster. 
Not that it could be in the future, but oh my gosh, look what he's done. And now we see that there's the possibility that not only is it not a disaster, but it could be yet, a, yet another economic boon for America. I, I saw today that uh, people, I, I'm trying to remember what the exact statistic was, but uh, people are more optimistic, more or less, about getting a good job today than they have been in a very long time. And the sense of prosperity that the American people have, this is why it just drowns out all the hating, all the, from the left about Trump. It doesn't drown out hate in this country. Spend two minutes on social media talking about Trump and you'll see how nasty everybody can be. But it, it this is what they didn't count on. It's one thing to have to struggle against Trump's messaging and his counterpunching. Media is still really twisted up in knots about that. It's another thing to have no answer, no effective countermeasure to Trump's economic results. My friends, the midterms loom large in all of this. If things continue on the trajectory they're on right now, not only is the blue wave a myth, you could actually see Republicans gain seats. Mark my words, gain them. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about Starbucks' new newest bathroom policy and how it could result in smelliness for all. Stay with me. And Starbucks. It's a story I've been following closely, team, as you know. There were some allegations of racism a while ago, and uh, Starbucks responded with well everything that it could at the time right it said that they're gonna they said they're gonna hold a a day of uh diversity training for every single one of their tens of thousands of employees across the country they also said that uh they were very sorry about the the incidents in question but there's a new policy now too who wants to guess because you remember the problem with starbucks was that they said that some people were allowed to use the bathroom without a purchase and others were not. And the claim was that this was based on race. Well, let me just put this out there. Does anybody right now think that Starbucks is going to just let that continue on without taking action? No, of course not. So Starbucks decided that they are going to now make all... Starbucks open to people without having to eat, uh, drink, or buy any, well, without having to buy any food or drink. Quote, any person who enters our spaces, including patios, cafes, and restrooms, regardless of whether they make a purchase, is considered a customer. So... You had, yeah, 8,000 stores, by the way, are going to be closed in, on May 29th for racial, not even diversity training, racial bias training. Now, uh, here, here's what he said. He said, we don't want to become a public bathroom, but we're going to make the right decision 100% of the time and give people the key because we don't want anyone at Starbucks to feel as if we are not giving access to that bathroom because you are less than. We want you to be more than. This is Schultz, the uh, CEO. So let me tell you, yeah, Starbucks chairman, Howard Schultz. Let me tell you something about this. They're going to be the public bathroom now, folks. This is going to be one of these liberal policies that some 
C-suite group, you know, the, the chairman and a bunch of his buddies are like, yeah, we have a solution, and they get to feel like it's a smart thing. When there are cocktail parties, it can seem very progressive, very forward-thinking on the issue of bathroom usage, which, as you know, under other circumstances, can become uh, quite a contentious thing, right? Male-female bathroom issue and, and all the rest of it. Uh, but here, what we see is a situation where the Starbucks bathroom is going to become the closest thing in existence today. J- just give it some time. The closest thing in existence today to a rest stop circa 1990 on the interstate. Now, a, a lot of you listening are, you know, within, let's say, 10 to 15 years of my age. And so you know what I'm talking about here with when your parents would take you on long trips, you know, and this is before we all had smartphones and even Game Boys and all that stuff. There's nothing to do. But you'd have to stop. If it was a really long drive, you'd have to stop and go to one of these designated rest stops along like I-95 on the East Coast here, which goes all the way from, I think, Maine to Florida. It's basically the whole East Coast. You'd go to one of these rest stops. And I remember, I mean, some of the bathrooms there, You'd go into, and they were so gross, right? They were so putrid and filthy and unkept uh, that you didn't want to even touch it with your the bottoms of your shoes. And then you had to make that. I mean, as a, and as a like a teenager, you know, you're like probably not necessarily the best personal hygiene, right? Let's just be honest, folks. Right? Teenagers can be a little, be a little uh, on the sloppy side. I know I was as a teenager. I mean, I was clean, but you know, I could have been cleaner. You go into that bathroom, though, and you don't want to touch anything, and then you got to think to yourself, do you even want to touch the door handle? And you do that thing where you grab your shirt, you know, and you use your shirt as a, a barrier for your hand on the door handle. But then if you're like me and you get a little OCD, you're like, oh, gosh, but now whatever is on that door handle is on the inside of my shirt, which is touching my, you know, my belly, and now I'm going to get some weird skin rash on my belly. So there's really no way around it. But the point here is that those rest stops were, were disgusting. Uh, and there was a real, like, and, you know, the, you hear, like, a couple flies buzzing around. It's just the whole thing. Because no one cared. This is not going to happen at every Starbucks. not going to happen at Starbucks in nice neighborhoods, necessarily. But in high traffic, in high traffic areas. People are going to know they're just allowed to go in and use the Starbucks bathroom. And that means, and, and by the way, I think that there's also, this is just my opinion, so I could be wrong. But how often is that really true, that I'm wrong? But when people are at least paying uh, as customers, they have a different relationship with the establishment. I, I just think that there's a, when, when you create that connection of capitalism, in a place, you're just less likely. I'm not saying you won't, but you're less likely to trash the joint. And, you know, you know, when you're in the bathroom, you're less likely to spray all over the place like an elephant. You know what I mean? You're less likely to just not. I, I'm, I'm talking when you're washing your hands. Don't be gross. But, you know, you're you're just more likely to be uh, a little more respectful of the place. Whereas if you just walk in and use a restroom, I feel like you're less likely to be clean about so so you know clean about your your habits but then you also have the issue of now people are just going to use starbucks forget about the bathrooms now people are going to use starbucks as their 
I don't know if you know this company, WeWork, but you can rent office space. Why? I mean, it's a nice company, but why would you rent office space if you got a local Starbucks? You can now just show up there and set up all day. No expectation that there has to be commerce going on, thanks to the chairman of Starbucks, Howard Schultz. You don't have to buy your mocha frap soy thing. You can just sit there and hang out. You no longer have any obligation whatsoever to purchase anything, to to engage in commerce. You can just be a squatter. Now, see, this is where you, you get liberals, very prominent progressive company run by a liberal, lots of liberals at the top ranks of this thing, probably all liberals, I would guess, but I don't know that for a fact. And they have this idea, and it sounds good to them. They figure, hey, you know, why not give this a shot? Let anybody use the bathroom. Let anyone stay in our place. They don't have to buy anything at all. And it sounds really good, right? Especially when you feel like you've been in a in a, in a situation where you, there could be some bias against you. Or, you know, people, rather, people think you've engaged in bias. Pardon me. So I switched that around. Um. So yeah, it deals with that problem, but now you got the problem of how do you run a business when you're not actually conducting business necessarily? And, and I think that this is going to fall by the wayside. And, and more to the point, this is going to mean that some Starbucks, particularly the bathrooms, are going to be the equivalent of a porta potty at a construction site in the southwestern United States in mid-July that nobody has done anything about for like many months. That's, that's what it's going to be like in Sunday Starbucks bathrooms. Very unpleasant. Very, very unpleasant. I'm, I'm now thinking back to the most unpleasant facilities I have ever used, which, considering some of the places I've been overseas, it's kind of amazing I'm still here to talk to you, actually. All right, um, we're going to come back and talk about a really interesting map of what states hate what foods the most. we got Hillary Clinton running around. We should pay for Hillary to go give speeches. And we, we should be all about Hillary running around promoting the cult of Hillary, which is dwindling with each and every day. Uh, and so we got that. And then my review of the movie Black Panther, which I promise will not take too long, but will be worth your worth your time. Uh, that and more coming up. I love dogs. You love dogs. But you got to make sure that you keep an eye on what they're up to. You got to take care of those little furry fellows, because if you don't, you could have a problem on your hands. And digging is one of those issues, my friends. You got a yard and it's fenced in. That's great. But what happens if your dog, after a long day of being cooped up inside or just because it's got a little bolt of energy, tries to go under that fence? Or what if predators like foxes or raccoons try to come under your fence? I've got a solution for you that takes care of all these problems. Dig defense. Dig defense extends the protection of your fence underground. No amount of digging is going to get under there. It comes in a bunch of different models, and it sizes to fit your needs exactly. You can install it with a hammer and a pair of gloves. It's available online at Lowe's, Menards, Wayfair, and you can go online to StopTheDig.com. That's StopTheDig.com. Check out Dig Defense. You're going to love it. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show team. Man, it's flying by today, I got to say. It's a bright and sunny day in the swamp, so that makes things a whole lot easier. It, it was just raining cats and dogs. Y- you know they don't really know where that expression comes from? The most widely accepted explanation of raining cats and dogs is that in London, circa 19th century, 
the houses in the poorer areas uh, were thatched roof houses, and when they would get wet, dogs and cats could walk across the tops of the uh, of the roofs because they were so close together. But when it would get wet, sometimes they would walk on part of the thatch, right, the grass that they would use for roofing, and, and it would let them fall down. This sounds way too cute to be real, but they don't have an actual better explanation for it than that. So so here we are. Um, but But back to... Uh, the swamp. I've got some news for you. This is not important, by the way. And, and I, I keep holding off on my big announcement because I have to. It's, what can I tell you, folks? You know, I've I've got I've got bosses. You know, Buck Buck is a little has to be a little corporate sometimes. It's not because I I mean to put it off, but we're just waiting to get some things aligned on our announcement, and it's coming soon though. Coming very soon. I'm told this week, but I can't be 100 certain about that. Uh, but as an aside to that, what the, I have no idea how they get this information. And this is not an important story, but it's a fun story. So I just wanted to switch gears. We're going to talk about Hillary coming up in just a little bit. And then, because she's out there still. That's right. Uh, and also Black Panther, the movie, which I saw. I will give you my review of it. It will not take long. And then we'll get into some roll call. But I found this chart. And it comes from Mental Floss. It could be complete nonsense. I don't know how they could possibly do this, but this is a um, a shared. This is what they say on mental flaws. A shared hatred of something has a funny way of bringing people together. That's the idea behind Hater, a dating app launched earlier this year. The app m- might match users based on their mutual disdain for certain pop stars, fashion styles, or something many of us have strong opinions about: food. According to the Huffington Post, Hater put together this map of every state's most hated food using data collected from its more than 600,000 users. This was really interesting, folks. I got to tell you, I don't have time to go through absolutely all of them, but some of them were I, I find totally believable and others deserve a high five. First of all, let's get right to it. So remember, this is state by state the highest concentration of food hatred uh, based on a sample size of 600,000 people across the country. In Texas, you guys know what time it is. You guys know what's up. Steak cooked well done. Uh, This is the one place where I cannot defend President Trump at all. I can't deflect. I can't explain it. You, You can't do your steaks well done with ketchup. I'm sorry. We're not barbarians. But Texas knows that they refuse to go with steaks well done. Although, not to be completely left out of the conversation, Oklahoma hates veggie burgers. And you know what, Oklahoma? I'll put a point for you up on the board based on that one. In Florida, they say licorice, which I didn't even know anyone still ate licorice. So that just strikes me as uh, completely and utterly bizarre. Michigan hates cold pizza what's i mean i don't know why that's so bad cold pizzas is, is can be actually quite delicious so michigan you get a, you get a minus points on that one california I, I think some of you can guess what food does california hate the most think political think political chick-fil-a i know right oh i'm sorry you hate a company that treats its workers really well has built an amazing american franchise 
and serves people incredibly tasty chicken sandwiches. And I actually had Chick-fil-A in my pre, well, before I knew that I was celiac. So I have tasted the glory that is Chick-fil-A, and it is, it is quite amazing. In the state of Nevada, they hate LaCroix, which is a fruit-flavored but sugarless soda drink that I will not lie to you. I have cases of uh, back home in, in New York City. I think it's quite delicious. So Nevada, I, I don't know. Maybe you just, maybe there's too much LaCroix going on there, but I think it's, it's quite excellent. Uh, we've got some other ones here. Oh, New York City hates ranch dressing on pizzas. Or New York State, I should say. Um, first of all, I didn't know that was a thing that people really knew about or cared about, but that's what they say in New York. I think that's quite strange. Um, this is the one that really just upsets me, though, and this is uh, Massachusetts. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is Connecticut, not Massachusetts. I can't see on this chart. Mayonnaise on fries. There are some things about me, team. I tell you the truth. There's some things about me that make me seem not particularly American. And this is one of them. I think mayonnaise is way better with good crispy French fries than ketchup. I know. I know. Producer Mike, don't, don't give me the look. It's, there's nothing I can do about it, man. It's just good mayo with French fries is amazing. Yes, it's very, very French. I get it. But I, I now do actually go to the extent of ordering, uh, ordering my French fries with a side of mayo. So I, I can't pretend to hate on that one. Um, who, oh, Virginia. W- w- sorry, West Virginia here hates tofu, which is fine, except I feel like that's about 20 years behind the food trend because tofu is not a particularly new thing, um, and it's not a particularly popular thing these days. But, hey, I'm with you, West Virginia. Tofu is disgusting, and people shouldn't eat it. Unless they like it, in which case, what am I even talking about? Uh, then you have in Montana, and this is very America, pumpkin spice anything. That's right. The state of Montana just hates pumpkin spice, which uh, I can understand. It's pumpkin spice of all the flavors you can think of has to be among the most frou-frou and bougie. So... Totally understandable uh, for me. And then you have, I, th- I think this is, I can't tell if the map is pointing. Oh, no, it's pointing at Washington, D.C. Turkey bacon. Why do they hate turkey bacon? I mean, obviously it's inferior to bacon, but in, in a pinch, you know, it's like Canadian bacon. Also inferior to bacon, but better than no bacon, right? And better than tofu bacon, for example. Pennsylvania. That's right, all my Pennsylvania listeners. What do you think you hate? Not cheese whiz. Chai lattes. You are chai latte haters. And you know what? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with that's okay. Chai lattes are quite delicious until you find out that they have like 40 grams of sugar in them. And well, assuming that you get the sweetened kind. Some of you probably drink un but why do you drink unsweetened chai lattes? That just seems un American to me. Uh, then I get to New Mexico, which hates chicken nuggets. New Mexico, seriously, get it together. What is wrong with you? Chicken nuggets are amazing. This isn't even a, there's not even a discussion to be had here. I don't know what's going on in New Mexico. I feel like there's a problem. 
My single favorite, though, and I really did want to get to this, my single favorite of all of the options here, i got to tell you, um, was the state of Louisiana. You get a congratulations and a boy and a high five. State of Louisiana hates cookies with raisins. Totally true, by the way. Yo, oh, oh, you show me a cookie with raisins in it, and you'll say, oh, Buck, but taste it. It's so good. I'll say, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Would chocolate chips not be better? You know the answer is yes. You know the answer. Don't even pretend. Mike and John, they're with me on this one. The raisins are, raisins are gross. Uh, Kentucky doesn't like hummus. I like hummus, although it's, it's um, kind of sneaky with how fatty it is. Oh, of course, Washington State, because we're where Starbucks comes from. We're so fancy. Washington State uh, doesn't like Keurig K-Cups because they just like their French press. They're so they're just all about being coffee purists. Please, please, Washington State. All right. I, I, I don't need to hear about how you're, you're too fancy for your K-Cups up there, but makes sense. You'd be a, you'd be opposed to that one. And trying to see who else is on here. Uh, some people hate, in Minnesota, they hate beans. Is that just because you don't want to be offensive, Minnesota? Eh? Uh, in Iowa, they hate quinoa. What's wrong with quinoa? I like quinoa. I, I, disagree, with, I disagree with that one. And in, uh, what else do we have here? Maine, they hate Asian fusion. <laughs> that's just because you don't have any Maine. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Deal with it. Uh, and and I'll leave I'll leave it there. But th- that's your that's your smattering of food hatreds across the country. I, I this I thought this was really interesting. Oh, New Jersey hates gas station wine because it's too fancy. Oh, take that! And uh, we got Hillary Clinton up next. Stay with me. Switching gears for a second. I want to tell you about our sponsor this half hour, Nine Line Apparel. It's a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand. Now, what does that mean? Go to NineLineApparel.com and check them out for yourself. They are relentlessly patriotic. They are veteran-inspired. They've got designs all about support of the Second Amendment, support of freedom, liberty, and love of America. Their cotton is incredibly soft. I've got one of their Veteran Lives Matters t-shirts. I wear it all the time. I'm telling you, this is going to be your apparel company of choice. Go check them out for yourself. Go to NineLineApparel.com. Use the coupon code BUCK20. That'll get you 20% off. That's a great deal. 20% off your next order. That's NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off your next order. Check them out, team. Just in case you missed it, Hillary Clinton over the weekend gave a speech at Yale's class day. And here was the big joke in front of the assembled grads-to-be. A Russian hat. <laughs> if you can't beat him, join him. If you can't beat him, join him. Hey, a Russian hat. Because Russia collusion. It gets worse, though, because... Hillary is speaking to these uh, young future leaders of America. If you believe all that crap about where you go to college and how it matters for the the future of you know your success or not, uh, Hillary though wanted to placate their political prejudices as much as she possibly could. No surprise there. Thrilled for all of you 
even the three of you who live in Michigan and didn't request your absentee ballots in time. No. Now, this may seem like a relatively minor point, but once again, it's this idea that Democrats are obsessed with that they really won somehow or really should have won somehow, that the American people were with Hillary, that it was either stolen from her or it was the popular vote's fault or it was Russia's fault or it was James Comey's fault, or maybe it was somehow Al Gore's fault for not making a strong enough case that it was the Supreme Court's fault in 2000. I think you catch my drift. Somehow there's always an excuse for a loss by a Democrat when it comes to a presidential election, and Hillary likes people to know that she's going to continue on with that tradition And by the way, she also let everybody know that this isn't an act. This is still a big deal for her personally. I'm not over it. We know, Hillary. Oh, we know indeed. You are not over it. I'm not over it. That's not surprising. I don't think there's anybody who would believe for a second that you were over it, even if you said, I'm over it. I'm totally past it. I'm done. I'm just going to drink Chardonnay and Chappaqua. I still think about the 2016 election. I still regret the mistakes I made. Does she really, though? Do we believe that she regrets the mistakes that she made? Or does she have yet so many close-at-hand excuses as to why she did not, in fact, win the second presidential election for which... She was considered inevitable. Seems quite strange to me that we are to believe that there is a reason other than Hillary's ineptitude as a politician. This is somebody with no actual record of accomplishment, just really a record of compiling a record. It was all built on resume, but the resume was built on the resumes of other people, most notably that of her husband. She went from first lady to senator to secretary of state to tw- or to presidential candidate to secretary of state to presidential candidate. Nowhere in that whole process do you have somebody who manages on her own to beat the odds in a fair contest or show in any way that there is real excellence. Oh, wait, you may say, Buck, what about the Senate race? She was running against Giuliani, as you will recall. And Giuliani, because of a cancer diagnosis, had to back out. So she effectively won that one without having much of a fight either. But understand that her qualifications were that she had been the first lady. And I feel like if Melania, as lovely and and kind as she is, were to say that she wanted to be a senator, a lot of Democrats would have quite a problem with But just the notion that Hillary somehow takes responsibility for all this, I find objectionable because, to me at least, it is so very, very clear that she takes absolutely no responsibility in this process, that she flatly and completely rejects the notion that she's not, in fact, the president of the United States because of anything that has to do with her. And just when you think, well, Buck, what about that speech she gave? She says she took responsibility. It was my fault. Uh, Then she went on, and as you can imagine, she starts out by putting on a furry Russian hat to make a joke about 
Trump, and if you can't beat him, join him. And then speaking to these Yale grads who have been indoctrinated in leftism for four years, at least, she is going to give them a taste of, oh, this is all about, you know where this is going, defending our democracy. I still think, though, that understanding what happened in such a weird and wild election in American history will help us defend our democracy in the future. This has become a a mindless talking point. I guess it's been a mindless talking point all along. But for all of the discussion we hear about how we need to know what happened with Russia so we can stop it the next time around, what have we learned that's new in this process? They say Russia set up social media accounts that push certain ideas. So the Russians push propaganda using social media. A lot of people push propaganda using social media. Unless you're going to cut the Internet off from, or America's Internet off from the rest of the world, this is not something that anyone has even begun to come up with an idea about how to really stop. And for all the yelling about Russian fake news, there are a lot of us who sit around saying, well, there are major American news media organizations that engage in fake news. But this is just a facade, right? The whole, oh, we have to figure out what went wrong with Russia to stop the next time or whatever. This is just a way to keep talking about it and make it sound virtuous when all this is uh, is being sore losers. Hillary's a sore loser, the ultimate sore loser, in fact. I hate losing. And a lot of Democrats go along with her because they'd rather cling to the belief that they are not just on the right side of history, as Obama says, but on the right side of the law, on the right side of constitutional norms, on the right side of all of these very important, profound-sounding issues, when in reality, they just can't get on the right side of, hey, this is what's going on, folks. Trump won the election. Hillary lost. She was a terrible candidate. There was actually no good reason for there to be a political momentum behind her. And time to move on. She won't move on, though. She'll continue giving these speeches that I think are increasingly sounding almost like a cry for help. I waited my entire life for this. The world's going to start over. I'm going to burn it all. What happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world. So that's from the movie Black Panther. Now, I'm not trying to be a hater, okay? Uh, Sometimes I get accused of that because I do enjoy being the guy who, on some issues, will be a bit contrarian. Like, I will tell you, for example, that Bruce Springsteen isn't just overrated. He's not good. I will tell you that Nobody should actually pretend that they enjoy listening to Bob Dylan because they don't. Like, I I will say these things because they are true. Oh, vanilla ice cream is not as good as chocolate ice cream. This isn't an opinion. This is a fact. And yet, here I am, once again in a position where, despite what I think is the most objective opinion ever, I, I feel like there's some controversy around it. So the movie Black Panther, let's get to it. It rained for days here in D.C. Rained for days. I had very little to do because, well, 
what are you going to do in D.C. when it's raining, right? When the swamp is so murky already. But I watched Black Panther over the weekend. And now this is a movie that I went into feeling like, first of all, I'm, I'm open to comic book movies. I have no problem with comic book movies. I tend to like comic book movies. So there's nothing about this that automatically should be an issue, right? I like the. I, I think Iron Man is a great movie. Not just a good movie. I think Iron Man's a great movie. I really enjoy the movie Blade. I like Batman Begins. I go down a whole list of superhero movies. I want to like superhero movies. Okay, I'm not somebody who goes, oh, why does he have magic powers? I don't understand. Excuse me, sir, but uh, no human being could actually fly. So, you know, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm all right with superhero movies. I like superhero movies. I like the escapism. So I'm rooting for it to be a good movie going into it. And I see that Black Panther has 97% critics' approval on Rotten Tomatoes. I also see that it had one of the biggest movie openings of the, in, of the year and one of the biggest movie openings I believe of all time. And I, I've told you, I don't go see movies in the theater for the most part because of people. Because people ruin them, because they talk, because they hold their iPhones up. They, they ruin the experience, and I do not enjoy when people do that. So I watch things on my own time. I don't usually go to the movie theater. So I finally got a chance to watch Black Panther, and I was shocked because it is so bad as a movie that I don't understand how any critic, never mind anyone in the audience, thinks it's a good movie. It's one thing to say you enjoy it. Like, there are, there are terrible movies that I enjoy watching nonetheless uh, for, for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, but I know that they're bad, right? I don't sit there and try to tell you that, that Bloodsport is a good movie. I, I love the movie, but I know that the acting is, is horrific, the screenplay is garbage, and the whole thing doesn't really make any sense, including the realism of the fight scenes, which are preposterous. But, but I, I can very clearly pick up that Black Panther is supposed to be not just entertaining for some folks, but also a good movie. And it's just not. I, I mean, And how can so many people get this wrong? Why are we all supposed to sit around and act like this is actually a worthwhile thing for anyone, to, a worthwhile thing for anyone to watch? I mean, just a few things that come to mind. For example, I could do this all day. So, so Wakanda from the movie Black Panther is the most advanced, technologically advanced society on on the face of the earth. Yet they choose their leader by having a couple of shirtless guys fight to the death in what is basically a kiddie pool. It's like water up to their ankles or something. That doesn't strike me as what you would expect from a society that's so advanced that it, it could promote peace for all the rest of the world just based on its knowledge. It also struck me as a little strange. And look, I'm okay with Wakanda, this, this uh, place in Africa that has this incredible technology. And all. I, I can buy into some of the backstory and all that. But the best weapon they have is a magic rhinoceros that comes out of the ground and runs people over. I mean, I'm just telling you what I saw in the movie. There's no plot. The dialogue is laughable. The action sequences aren't good. There's way too much CGI. I really ask, who can think this is a good movie? It's not that it's not good. It's bad. 
But everyone pretends they like it. Strikes me as very, very odd. By the way, I'm excited for Deadpool 2. That will be a very good movie. And we've got Roll Call coming up. Team, this party's about to get lit. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Now, don't lie. You were stamping your foot on that one. You were enjoying a little bit of those funky, funky Roll Call beats. You want to be a part of the action, you know what to do. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And we will uh, hopefully get a chance to read your thoughts, critiques, uh, praises, haikus, sonnets, all the rest of it on the air. So thank you so much for joining. All right. Um, let's go. We have first up here, Monica, who writes iPod subscriber here, Buck. Uh, I guess iTunes subscriber. Yeah. I've been removed from your automatic subscription three times last month. Not sure, but you might want to check it out. Shields high. Um, all right. I will look into that one. Monica, don't know what to say. Other than we'll have the tech team check it out. Uh, next up here, we have Matt who writes, the thing I love about your show is that it can be a deep dive into history or theory one hour and something lighthearted the next. I want to give credit to America now for seeing the potential and all the work your team is doing to go big. In the past, you occasionally did science segments. More, please. As you fight the dad bod, maybe bring on Dr. Jason Fung, who's questioning a lot of diet conventions. I work in the space program, so I'm tempted to say shields up. But Shields High sounds better. Matt, down in Texas. Well, Matt, thank you so much. You know, I, I try to come at science from the perspective of somebody who has no scientific background whatsoever, but really likes reading and learning and thinking through problems. And I, I have to tell you, it's, it's been one of the more uh, interesting parts of my journey, particularly on, on health and nutrition, to just see how often the conventional wisdom has been wrong. Now, not always diametrically opposed, right? Not always the exact polar opposite, but not, not nearly as correct as they say it is, and in some cases, almost entirely incorrect. I've talked to you about the food pyramid, for example, and how 12 servings of grain and rice and bread a day is insane. I mean, it's, it's disastrous for anyone, and then also uh, the war on fat and its replacement with sugar, meaning the war on fat in food uh, throughout my childhood, really. I remember people always eating these fat-free foods and fat-free cookies. Uh, we used to have margarine, which was, the, and I knew this as a kid. I'm like, what is that grotesque, mutant-looking, neon yellow goo that they're putting out a bar of in the middle of the table? I just want butter. But they gave us margarine in my school, which is absolutely disgusting. So, yeah, I'll try to bring more of the science-y segments in where I'm approaching it as a layperson, and we'll have some experts on when we can. But people who say things like the science is settled are, a lot of the times, just complete ignoramuses. They have no idea what they're talking about. Science, until really about the last hundred years or so, 
knew very, very little, <laughs> which is a pretty remarkable thing when you when you consider it. Human beings have been around for a really long time, and we're just starting to figure stuff out. I mean, we're just mapping uh, human genomes, and, and we're just beginning to get some insight into the full uh, depth and scope of what goes on at the cellular level in the world around us. Anyway, a lot, lot of stuff. A lot of stuff there. Thank you so much, Matt and Shields High. Uh, Mark, next up here, he writes, Buck uh, or Buck Staff. No, it's me, Mark. I'm here. I'm on the air. I'm live. I'm talking to you. I was wondering if you were going to comment on the passing of one of the eminent Middle Eastern scholars, Bernard Lewis. I read his Crisis of Islam while in college and found it equally informative and insightful. The book was such a good example of responsible and simple scholarship. He was a rare man in this modern age and will be missed. Perhaps his passing could be a good opportunity to chat around the state of Middle Eastern studies on campus and the competing theories and approaches of Orientalism. I know that is an un-PC word by some, but that's a... But that's nonsense, and I'm a bit old school. Hope you have a great day. Keep up the great work. God bless. Shields high. Mark, who also writes, P.S., more history. Um, well, Mark, I'm, I'm working on it. I, I promise you, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm just, I'm, over, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm overwhelmed these days. I got so many things I'm trying to do. And the good news is a priority one is always this show. But I'm launching another video project that any day now I'll be able to give you guys all the details of. Uh, we're launching another podcast here, which is going to be a kind of Buck Unplugged segment. Uh, we're going to call it The Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton, so you're getting a preview of that. That should hopefully be out weekly starting in uh, about two weeks, and I'm hoping all of you will download that. We're, we're, we haven't even created, don't look for it yet, we haven't even created the iTunes, iTunes uh, landing page, but that will be coming out as well. Just be an opportunity for me to kind of fly off the cuff, not be bound by news of the day and do some... I don't know, the kind of biggest thoughts of the week stuff. Uh, you know, what's just in general. It'll be like we're all sitting around hanging out talking. That's, that's my, you know, when, when Seinfeld pitches their show, it's a show about nothing where they just do, but, but it's really a show about everything. Uh, the Freedom Hunt with Buck Saxon is just going to be a, a shorthand version of, here's what I think is really going on. And if you say about what, the answer is, well, what do you want to talk about? Because it could be anything. Uh, and, uh, oh, as to Bernard Lewis, yes, he passed away. Uh, I saw that secretary of state Pompeo made note of it in a tweet. Um, Bernard Lewis was a, was probably the greatest contemporary American scholar of the middle East. So that I, I think there, there's no more fitting uh, epitaph for him than that. And, uh, I was just talking about him last week because we had a member of team buck Israel who pointed out. And I conceded rightfully that Bernard Lewis is a far better uh, example of somebody to read on the issue of the Middle East than, say, uh, Segev or Friedman or some of the other well-known leftists on this stuff. Uh, next up, I'm trying to load this up. Um, this is from Sean. He writes, Buck, it would really mean a lot if you took the same stance that a number of other news media outlets, including the Daily Wire, have taken and pledged to not disclose the name or post any photos of shooters in mass shootings, especially school shootings. The fame just encourages others to follow in their footsteps. Uh, if the media as a whole would pledge to never show their faces or disclose their names, 
I believe it would help cut down on the glory they feel they receive when committing these heinous acts. Sean, I, I agree with the thinking on that. I think in practice, it's very, very difficult to do because what ends up happening, and that's really a function of the internet, what ends up happening is people want to see the photo and they want to see the name. And so even if it's really only published in one place, it gets spread everywhere because of the nature of human interest in these events. And I just don't really think it's possible to suppress. Now, that said, I do think that the way we cover it can be uh, responsible or irresponsible. I mean, an example of this would be when Rolling Stone put uh, Jahar Sarnayev, the, one of the two Boston Marathon bombers on their cover looking like some kind of young rock star. I mean, that's kind of the, that's really the height of disgraceful and irresponsible coverage of a uh, murdering terrorist psychopath. So it's clearly possible to go well beyond any journalistic standards or integrity. So that's my focus with these things is just to try to cover it in a way where we're being accurate. It's, on, it's about the facts. It's analysis that is in no way doing anything other than discussing the event and the uh, ideology behind it from the perspective of wanting to combat, uh, combat, defeat, and destroy it. So, but I mean, Sean, I'll, I'll think about it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give it some thought for sure. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I just, I don't know if it's really feasible. I don't know if it is really possible. Uh, next up here, we have William, who writes the following. That uh, he, he writes, after watching Cobra Kai and Donald Trump becoming president, a lot of folks just don't give a crap anymore. PC what? It's a dangerous game the left is playing now. Uh, it's a, and when you apologize for racism, you lose listeners. Hmm. I'm married with children to a non-white Samoan and have dated lots of minorities. You're playing into the left when you call folks racist. Shields high. Uh Okay, William, I don't know who I called racist. I mean, there are racists. There are people who are racists. So I'm not really sure who, who specifically you're referring to, but I appreciate the, the note. Uh, thanks for reaching out. We have, hold on one second here. Some folks, Eric writes, Buck, we had some protests in Savannah. People were laying down in front of buses. It got a little hairy. We had to escort the buses out of Savannah. Uh, oh, I think the tactical unit was uh, our canine unit. Interesting. I got to check this story out. There was a it was a deportation bus. People lying down in front of it. That's illegal, folks. That's not uh, that's not engaging in peaceful protest. That's actually breaking the law when you block streets and block cars from moving. I, I think this is one of the more annoying tactics the left uses in its so-called protest culture, or its protest culture. It's not so-called. Uh, we've got a lot more great stuff in the roll call. The good news is we got it every day this week to get into all the latest. I uh, just want to say thank you to all of you for joining me here. I have so much more news and exciting stuff to tell you about in the days ahead. Uh, please do tell a friend or two about the show when you get a chance this week. Share it with them. Uh, send them a, an, an email with, hey, check out this guy, Buck Sexton on iTunes. It's how folks learn about the show. Until tomorrow, my friends, you know what we all have to do. Shields high.